A couple of years ago, um, I was doing, uh, I was participating in a community service project with an organization that I'm a part of, and we were doing some beautification at Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem. And I was leading the group that was pulling weeds. That was our job, was to pull weeds in Marcus Garvey Park. And there were a couple people working on my team, and there was a guy next to me, a friend of mine, and I looked over at his pile, and he had ripped up all the flowers from the ground, and there were flowers and there were weeds in a big pile right behind him. And I said, what are you doing, man? Don't pull up the flowers, just pull up the weeds. And he goes, how am I supposed to tell the difference? I don't know anything about plants. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Listen, I don't claim to be any kind of botanist or any expert on plants, but even I know the difference between a flower and a weed. So, um, but the point, nevertheless, we live in an industrial technological society. And on top of that, we live in New York City. So most of us don't have to think about botany very often, right? And we don't have to think about agriculture. We don't have to think about plants and soil and the difference between a weed and a flower. Uh, most of us don't know much about these things. However, and this is the culture that we live in. However, Jesus lived in an agricultural society. So he thought agriculturally. He lived in a society, an economy that was, that was sort of propelled by agriculture. And what that means is that many of the metaphors and the images that Jesus uses and the other New Testament writers use to describe the spiritual life are often agricultural or botanical in nature. Uh, and th what this means is that oftentimes when we see these agricultural or botanical references, metaphors in the scriptures, uh, we can, w the meaning can be lost on us because we don't think in those terms. And so today as we continue studying the Gospel of John, I want us to consider plants. And we'll consider plants as an image for spiritual growth, particularly vines and branches and fruit, because this is the language that Jesus uses to tell us how we grow spiritually and how we are transformed. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And then Jesus ends that, this thought. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? So that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. And so in this passage, Jesus uses a beautiful metaphor of how spiritual growth and spiritual transformation happens in the life of a Christian. And that should be what we all want, right? We all want to grow spiritually. You came to church on a Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. 
because I hope there's something in you that wants to be transformed by the Spirit. Well, how does spiritual growth happen? Jesus uses a metaphor of a vine and branches. And the great thing is that Jesus explains the metaphor for us. He doesn't always do that, but here he explains the metaphor. And he says, the vine dresser, the gardener, is the father, his father in heaven. And what does the gardener do? What does the vine dresser do? The vine dresser waters the vine, prepares the soil, positions the vine in the sunlight, watches over the vine, shapes the vine, prunes the branches, all so that the vine can produce more fruit that is beautiful to look at and delicious to taste. That's what the vine dresser does. Now, what is the vine? The vine, Jesus says, is him. I am the true vine, Jesus says. And the vine is, that, is what roots the plant into the soil. The vine puts its, its roots deep into the soil and absorbs the nutrients and the sunlight, and then the vine, as it absorbs all the things that the Father sort of positions him to absorb, he then pushes life into the branch. And what is the branch? The branch is you and me. We are connected to the vine, and as, as we are connected to the vine, the vine pulls up the nourishment from the soil and then pushes life into us, the branch, and then the branch produces fruit. So the branch bears the fruit that the vine produces. And what is the fruit? The fruit is what God produces through the work of Jesus in you and through you. Fruit is spiritual growth then. When he says you will bear much fruit, it means you will grow spiritually. It's spiritual maturity. It's greater knowledge of God. It's greater experience of God. It's greater a desire for God. It's greater love for others. It's greater joy and greater peace and more patience and more kindness and more self-control. That is what it is to bear fruit. In short, fruit is a transformed life. And Jesus says, if you abide in him, you will produce a tra uh, he will produce through you and in you a transformed life. So true spiritual fruit, true spiritual transformation only comes through connection to Jesus who is the vine. And Jesus says that the purpose of all of this is so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. This is a beautiful image to have in our minds that the Father God the Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is working through his son Jesus to accomplish something in your life. To accomplish something in your life that has real juice to it. That's God's purpose for your life, that you would be connected to his son and that through his son he would do something in you and through you for the world. But we... Unfortunately, we often, that's what's available to us in Jesus, but we often, unfortunately, settle for artificial fruit. The appearance of fruit rather than the real thing. Fruit that is, we often settle for fruit that is genu generated or manufactured from other means besides intimacy, friendship, and abiding in Jesus. So my mother-in-law, um, her spiritual gift is hospitality, and she's great at it. If you've ever met someone who God has gifted them to be hospitable, those are very special people. 
And so my mother-in-law, she loves to host people. She loves when, uh, you know, our, when we go visit over the holidays, she loves to make her home as welcoming of an environment as possible. And so she lays out that she spares no expense. She pulls out all the decorations. She puts down the tablecloth. She gets the centerpiece. And sort of the centerpiece of her uh, dining room table is a bowl with fruit in it. Uh, but the problem is that the fruit in the bowl is not real. It's fake fruit. And this is not, it's good fake fruit though. It's not Ikea fake fruit. This is like Williams-Sonoma, like expensive fake fruit. Um, and they look real. And the apples and the blueberries and the whatever, they, they have fooled many grandchildren over the years and maybe even a son or a son-in-law or two at times. You walk by, and you're like, oh, that looks like a great apple. And so what ha happens, what she has to do is when she puts out the centerpiece with the fake fruit, she, once she puts it on the table, she then has to go through and position every piece of fake fruit because she has to hide the teeth marks from where somebody has grabbed the fruit and tried to take a bite of it. Because she's trying to distract her guests from the truth that the fruit only appears to be real. And Jesus' metaphor is encouraging, but it can also be a word of warning. He is saying that there are people who may, there are many people who may have the appearance of a transformed life. But if you took a bite of them, you would get a mouthful of styrofoam. And Jesus used a similar analogy when he told the religious leaders of his day. He said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You, you, it's, you're beautiful you put together on the outside. You may have some beautiful poem inscripted on your tomb, but at the end of the day, it's a tomb. And if you looked inside, there would be nothing but death in there. And he says to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but what is on the inside is not good. It's artificial. And so I think there are two ways. We don't want to be, right, we want to bear real, good fruit, right? We don't want to bear artificial fruit. And so how do, we, how do we distinguish between the two? And how do, we, how do we make sure that we are bearing the right kind of fruit? Well, I think there's two ways that we often produce artificial fruit rather than the real thing. The first way is that we attach ourselves to the wrong vine. You know, Jesus says he's the true vine. And if our branch, if, uh, if we as branches are connected to him, we'll bear real fruit, good fruit. But we often take our branch and we try to connect it to other vines. And when if you connect to an, a vine, you're gonna, that vine is going to produce something through you. And it often is, if it's not Jesus, it's not going to produce the life of Jesus through you. You see, this is really common in our city, in New York. People move to this city with big dreams, big hopes, big visions for their life, with a vision for the type of fruit that they want their lives to produce. And so many people come to this city with a vision that if they just attach themselves to the right vine, then the power of that vine will flow through them and produce meaning and joy and peace in their lives. So many of us think, if I can just attach myself to the right company, or if I can attach myself to the right industry, or if I can attach myself to the, to the, the right income class, the right uh, uh, status, uh, uh, place of status, if I can attach myself to the vine of success or recognition, if I can attach myself to this grad program, NYU, Columbia, wherever, if I can attach myself to these things, then boy, that will produ produce in me the transformation and the affirmation that I need. Or that many, we often we think, if I can attach myself to this social group, 
high school students, if I could sit at just at that table with those people and have their affirmation, and if I could attach my vine to that, boy, then I will have everything that I ever wanted, and it will produce in me what I am hoping for. Others of us, we grow out of that, maybe wanting popularity, but then we grow into, uh, we attach ourselves to the vine of family and marriage or children. And we think to ourselves, if I can attach myself to that vine then, uh, and, and have that kind of spouse and those kind of children, then it will produce in me all the joy and all the satisfaction that I need and that I desire in this life. Or if I can, many of us think, if I can attach myself to the vine of control or comfort or independence, if I can attach myself to the vine of politics and being on the right team and having the right views and being opposed to the right enemies, and feeling the right way about the right things, then I'll have meaning and value. Others of us, will, we will put, we'll attach our vine to national or ethnic identity and think that that is what's going to produce in us the person that we crave to be. You see, there are all sorts of vines that promise us that if we abide in them, we will bear fruit, and we will experience the transformation that we desire. But we should know by now that the fruit of those things that is produced in us doesn't lead to the, tra the real transformation that we really want. Another thing that we can often do where we produce fruit that is not the fruit that Jesus intended is we can attach ourselves to the wrong religious vine. Jesus is the vine, not religion. Many of us, can we can attach our vine to performance-based religion, and this will bear fruit in us that is not beautiful and good and kind. Here's what I mean by that. Many people understand religion like this. A standard is given by God. God gives us a standard. And my goal is to live up to that standard as best as I can. And if I do it well enough, God will like me, and I, maybe he'll let me have eternal life. Maybe he'll give me some blessings. The thought is, if I bear enough of and the right kind of fruit, God will abide in me. That's the lie that many of us believe. But the problem with performance-based religion is that it, it can give the appearance of a spiritual life, but the results are often anything but fruitful. The fruit of performance-based religion is not life, but pride, despair, resentment, and burnout. You see, here's what I'm, here, let me explain that. If you, let's say this is your understanding of, of religion. Like, I'm supposed to perform so that God will abide in me. So if you do well within this system, if you obey the rules and say the right things and get pats on the back from the right people, this will lead to pride. This is why Jesus got so annoyed with the Pharisees. They did everything that his father asked them to do in the scriptures, but they never actually loved the father. This is why he called them whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, your heart is nowhere near God. And it did not produce love in the Pharisees, but rather it produced arrogance in them. And when we attach ourselves to the vine of religious performance, and we do well, and we, we do the right things, what happens is we can become, we can look at other people who don't do as well as we do. We can look down on them condescendingly, and we can become arrogant, prideful, religious jerks. This is the fruit of performance-based religion. And there are few things in this world that are less attractive or more hurtful than arrogant, prideful, religious jerks. But on the flip side, if you make performance-based religion your vine and you attach yourself to that, when you struggle, if you do struggle and you will struggle, when you don't live up to the standard, you'll feel like a failure. 
and you'll, you'll feel like God is disgusted with you, and you'll feel despair that you cannot live up to God's standard. And you'll grow to resent God or yourself, and you will lose hope, and you will experience burnout. And you will either hide from God or run from God, and you will live in shame. And Jesus warns us, he says, do not attach yourselves to the vines of modern culture, and do not attach yourself to performance-based religion. Those things, the fruit of those things is exhaustion, not abundant life. He says, attach yourself to me, the vine, and I will produce in you real fruit. Another reason we often produce artificial fruit is that we confuse the fruit for the vine. You know, I'm, I wish I could do an imagery for you, bring a big vine out or something like that. But it, 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 in this metaphor, we are the branch and we are to graft ourselves into the vine so that the vine can produce fruit in us. And so we want to be a branch that has fruit coming out of us, right? But we do it by attaching ourselves to Jesus and he produces the fruit. But what many of us often do is we go, all right, here I am, I'm a branch and I want to have some fruit dangling from the branch. So I'm going to take this apple here and just, you know, stick it in there. And you're like, look, there's fruit on my branch. I'm doing good. But many of us, we get, we get confused, and we begin to think that if we can attach ourselves to the fruit, then that means we're doing okay. And so what we do is we make producing fruit our goal rather than actually being connected to the vine. So what happens is we look at something like the Bible, and we go, oh, knowing the Bible, loving the Scriptures, that is a fruit of a transformed life. So I better know the Bible. And so we attach ourselves to Bible studies, hoping that by knowing more of the Bible, we will be more dear to God. And we can become obsessed with Bible knowledge and forget that the point of the Scriptures is not so that we could become Bible scholars, but so that we could see and know and experience more of Jesus and his life in us. Jesus scalded the Pharisees. He says, you guys search the Scriptures because you think that it's in them that you have eternal life. He says, but it's the scriptures that bear witness to, about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says that the Pharisees knew their Bibles backwards and forwards. They wrote books about the Bible. They read the Bible. They memorized the Bible. They recited the Bible, but they missed the point of the Bible. And they never came to Jesus and they never experienced life. And this is true for all the spiritual disciplines and all the spiritual practices, whether it's reading the Bible or whether it's church attendance or whether it's serving or whether it's giving or all those things. Those things exist for us to taste more of Jesus, not as ends in themselves. They are the fruit, not the vine. The purpose of the branch is to be connected to the vine. That's the only point. When we connect ourselves to the vine, then fruit is produced in us. We don't have to connect ourselves to fruit. We connect ourselves to the vine. The fruit will then come by his grace. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he said, there's coming a day when many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. And Jesus says, but I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The Apostle Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to this. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. He said, if I give away all I have, and even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. 
Did you hear what Jesus and Paul just said? They said that there are people who have cast out demons in this world, who have prophesied and performed miracles to which Jesus will say, I never knew you. There's a lot of fruit in your life, but you were never connected to me. Paul says, if I had prophetic powers and spoke in the tongues of angels, that's a good preacher. That's impressive. He said, if I understood all the mysteries and all the knowledge, that's good theology. He said, if I had faith to move mountains, that's bold confidence. And I mean, that, that is, that's faith. He said, if I give away all that I have, and even if I deliver my body to be burned, that's a cool image, isn't it? The offering plate is going around. People are taking out their church center app to pay their, their, their offering. Somebody's like, hey, I, you know, I'm putting in 100 bucks this week. They're putting in checks in the bucket or whatever. One guy pulls out a lighter, lights himself on fire, and says, God, you can have all of me. That's committed. You're like, what? That guy just lit himself on fire. Paul says, if I give all my money away, and even if I give up my body to be burned, but if I don't have love and friendship with Jesus, it means absolutely nothing. He says, I would just be a branch trying to attach myself to an apple when being attached to the vine is available to me. Jesus says there will be many who show him all the spiritual stuff they did. And Jesus will say to them, but I, I never knew you. We're gonna, he said there's going to be people who are going to show up in his presence with a branch with an apple pierced onto it. And they're going, look, Jesus. And he's going, but I never, we never, there was never any intimacy. You never abided in me. I never knew you. The point of this passage is for us to consider um, what God can do in us, not what we can do for God. And these are some of the last words that Jesus gave to his disciples. And he, he tells them how they can produce spiritual fruit. And he says, the way you do that is to abide in me. Jesus says something in verse 9 that ought to move us to worship. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You know, it would take a million lifetimes to unpack the depth of that statement. As the Father has loved Jesus... Perfect love, eternal love, infinite love. Jesus says he loves us. I mean, have you read the Gospels and seen how much the Father loves Jesus? It is a relationship that has existed for all of eternity. It is a perfect love. The Father says, Jesus is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. John 3.35 says that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And Jesus says, my love for you and you and you and you and all of you in this room. And my, Jesus says, my love for you is the same in every way as my Father's love for me is. And I want you to think of the very moment that Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples. Remember, we're studying the Gospel of John. And just two chapters earlier, in John 13, in the same dinner conversation, Jesus revealed that one of his disciples would betray him. And when he did this, Judas immediately got up and left to go do it. And as the, in, the very moment, in the very moment that Jesus, or Judas is on his way to betray Jesus, Jesus is saying, as the Father loves me, so I have loved you. Even as Judas is on his way to betray him. Right after Jesus said that, he says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. In my moment of greatest need, you, will, you my friend, will reject me. Peter says, no, 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 I won't. I'll never do that. But Jesus knows. 
And yet, knowing all of these things and feeling the sting of it, Jesus still speaks over them, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I was recently interacting with a Christian counselor, and he said that one of the questions he asks all the people that he works with, all his clients, he says, how do you think God feels about you? I said, what do most people say? He said, most people say disappointed. Most people say disappointed. The way we think God feels about us, actually it has a direct effect on how we grow as a Christian and what the actual fruit of our life will be. If we think God is disappointed in us, that will produce something in us. But if we abide in who, what God really has said about us, that will produce the fruit that he wants to produce in us. David Benner writes, think for a moment about how Christ's following develops if you assume that God looks at you with disgust, disappointment, frustration, or anger. The central feature of any spiritual response to such a God will be an effort to earn his approval. Far from daring to abide in his presence, you will be vigilant to perform as well as you possibly can. The motive for any obedience you might offer will be fear rather than love, and there will be little genuine surrender. You must feel safe before you can abide. How could anyone ever expect to feel safe enough to abide in the presence of God, who is pre- presence of a God who is preoccupied with their shortcomings and failures? See, Jesus calls you and he calls me. He calls us the pearl of great price. He has given everything he has, his life, his blood, his dignity, so that he could purchase us for himself. He values you and me that much. And let me ask you this. How much more joy and peace would you have in your life if you really believed that? If you really believe that God treasures you, that he prizes you, that you are precious to him, think of the difference it would make in your life if you believed that. That would overcome every fear. It would overcome every suspicion you have about God's trustworthiness. You would be able to submit to God, obey God, and trust God if you knew and believed that God loves you. If you really believe that he values you and wants the best for your life, you would never hesitate to come to him in prayer. You would never hesitate to confess your sins to God or come to God even when you fail miserably. In verse 2 of this passage, Jesus says the vine dresser will prune healthy branches so that they can bear more fruit. In other words, sometimes God will orchestrate situations in your life that are intensely painful. He will remove things from your life but they result in greater growth in your life. And if you don't first believe and know that God loves you and values you, you will doubt him in the times of pruning. And you'll think he's destroying you, but in reality, he's making you more beautiful. So what difference would it make in your life if you really believe that God treasures you? And many of us, the reason we don't bear fruit like we desire is because we don't abide, don't abide in the truth that God values us, he loves us, and instead we choose to abide in our shame. The word abide means to make your home in. All of us have a family of origin, right? Um, we all have different family stories and histories. We are all a product of the home or the homes we grew up in. We can't escape that. We didn't have to do anything to pick up certain personality traits. Some of them we just absorbed by the very nature of living in the home that we lived in. 
The same is true with our spiritual lives. When we abide and we make our home in our shame, for example, or our disappointment or our sin or performance-based religion, that will shape who we become. What we abide in, where we make our home, determines in many ways who we become. But when we make our home in the love of God, it will shape who we become as well. And that is a promise that trumps all the other things. One of my mentors years ago was sharing a story with me where he went back to preach at a church that he had pastored decades before. So he had pastored at a church years prior, had moved on, and was now working at a seminary and training ministers and all of this. But the church was having sort of an anniversary or homecoming celebration, and they invited him to come back and to preach to this church that he had pastored 20 or 30 years prior. And he said while he was preaching, uh, he noticed a man in the crowd, and he said, I remembered this man from 30 years earlier. He was the neighborhood drunk. He said, but there he was. He was sitting in the back of the church, and he was singing his lungs out. <laughs> he was like, it was beautiful. He was taking notes during the sermon. And after the service was over, my friend said, uh, you know, he was talking to everybody who was coming up to him. And he said, but I just had to know what was going on with this guy. He said, so I made my way to the back, found the man. And I said, hey, it's you. You've changed. What happened? And the man said to him, he said, well, I came to faith in Christ about 10 years ago at the age of 60. God, give us people in our church that come to faith at the age of 60. And he said, well, pastor, as you know, before I became a follower of Jesus, I spent most of my life addicted to various substances. I was in and out of jail. I had multiple failed marriages. And my, my friend said he had this very quote. He said, I have no one to blame but myself. I made the poor choices. But when I look back at my childhood, when I look at the home I grew up in, all my daddy ever said to me was, you can't do anything right. And you're just dumb. And you're destined to be a failure. And he said, I guess I just became what my father always said I would be. He said, but 10 years ago, I got a new father. And he said, I have learned over the last decade to make my home not in my home of origin, but in the family of God. And as I've made my home in this home, and as I've abided in the words of my new father, my heavenly father, he has produced spiritual fruit in my life beyond measure. Fruit that I never could have imagined. And fruit that is evident to everybody who saw his transformed life. See, abiding in Jesus is this. It is making your home in the love of God. Not false vines, not worldly vines, not religious vines, but it is abiding in Jesus himself. Abiding in Jesus is to believe and to trust what he says about you is truer than how you feel about yourself and is truer than what other people say about you. Abiding in Jesus is resting in and making your home in the gospel. When you're tempted to think that God does not love you, you abide in the cross where Jesus demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. When you don't think that God is powerful enough to produce fruit in your life, maybe in other people's, but certainly not mine, when you feel that way, you abide in the resurrection where he produced life and victory out of death and defeat. He can produce fruit in your life. The primary goal of the Christian life is not to bear as much fruit as possible. It's to abide in Jesus. 
and the fruit is a byproduct of a life with him. Let me pray for you, church. Father, thank you that you have sent your son to be the vine that connects us to your love and your power. And God, I confess that I often make my home in and I attach my, my branch to all sorts of things that don't produce the fruit in me that honors you and don't produce the fruit in me that I want for my life or for the world. And so God, I pray that me, along with the rest of this church, that we would commit ourselves to continually reattaching our branch to your vine so that you can produce life and joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and joy and power through our lives. And God, I pray that we would be a church full of people abiding in the vine and that you would produce so much fruit through this church called Crossroads that we would be a blessing to this community through you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we observe communion every week. And the reason we do this is so that we can practice abiding in Jesus. It's, we, we, we do this every week so that we can take a moment to be silent before God and week by week come and attach ourselves to the vine that gives life and fruit. Now, just a personal story. This week, I found myself attaching my own heart to the vine of what people think of me and the vine of success and the vine of all sorts of other things. And the fruit of that is that I've been really harsh with myself this week. And I've been harsh with others for not serving my goals the way I wanted them to be served. For I've been mad at my harsh at myself for not being who I wish I was. And the fruit of attaching myself to the vine of what people think about me and career success and those things, the fruit of that is not grace and kindness. The fruit of that is anxiety and fear. And that's not a life I want to live. That's not the fruit I want to produce. So I'm taking the bread and the cup today in my own heart as a way of re-abiding in Jesus. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe, maybe you're harsh with your kids. And maybe it's because you're harsh with your kids because you're attaching your vine to this feeling of wanting to have everything in control. <laughs> Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, man, I just want control. I want to control. And then you, you feel out of control and the fruit produces just frustration with your children. Maybe you're attaching your vine to career success and maybe career's not going well. And so you're harsh on your, with yourself. Maybe you're connecting your vine to all sorts of things and it's not producing in you the fruit that you desire. This is an opportunity for you to graft your vine or your branch back into the vine that is Jesus and trust that he will produce life in you and through you because he's good and he's kind and he's faithful to his promises. So would you take the bread and the cup? And I'm gonna read the words of the Apostle Paul who says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Church, would you stand? We're going to sing one last song. And while we're singing, if you would like someone to pray for you, if you would like to have a blessing spoken over you, or if you would like to have a prayer for healing prayed on your behalf, I'm going to be standing right here. And if you would like for someone to pray with, you can come. I would be honored to pray with you. If you're watching online, uh, there's an opportunity for you to pray, request prayer in the chat, and it'll open up a private chat, and you can pray with Pastor Kyle or one of our leaders. And so we invite you to do that as we sing this last song. So church, let's sing. And if you need prayer, I'm here.